2: You've missed more great stories from some of Russia's closest friends, family, and colleagues. All previous episodes are available now on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to your podcast. Well, here we are, folks. We're at the last episode of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone. And I wish, I wish we could get to all of the stories that still remain out there that we just don't have time to do with this series and this is just a small drop in the ocean of what Russia's life was he impacted so many people and so many Americans and people around the world we hope you've enjoyed this series and we hope you'll enjoy this final episode we've got a lot of different people we're going to talk to on this final episode and we saved our broadcast engineer Mike Mamone, who's been the longest-serving engineer with the Rush Limbaugh program for the last episode. We hope you'll enjoy hearing from Mike, who's been one of my friends for almost three decades. Pretty incredible. In addition to talking with Mike Ramone, we're going to hear from several different people, some guest hosts, some former colleagues, and we've got a few surprises for you as well. And that's all coming up in this episode.
3: Whether you listened every day. You are at the EIB Network and the Rush Limbaugh program heard on over 600 great radio stations. Or every now and then. Nation's leading radio talk show, the most eagerly anticipated program in America. These
4: are the stories you've never heard from the people behind the scenes who knew him best and loved him most.
3: Rush Limbaugh having more fun than a human being it should be allowed to have. Rush Limbaugh, the
5: man behind the Golden EIB microphone. Hosted by James Golden.
2: Hey James Golden here you might remember I told you a few weeks ago that my pillow had sent me their entire collection well you know what it's amazing they are so luxurious and it's time that you experience some of that luxury too my pillow makes more than pillows I love the pillow I sleep on it every night but you know what else they have they have sheets that are simply incredible they're smooth they're soft they're comfortable. I look forward to getting to bed every night under these sheets. Get yourself a set of these. They're called Giza sheets. They come with a 60-day comfort guarantee. You get pillows. You get sheets. Oh, did I mention the slippers? They're incredible slippers. There is a level of comfort for pillow products that you simply have to experience. Log on to MyPillow.com. Click on the new radio listener specials. Use the promo code Icon that's I C O N. You'll find lots of incredible offers there right now. That's mypillow.com promo code icon. On this episode of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone, we are pleased to have Mike Mamone, broadcast engineer. The longest-serving broadcast engineer with the Rush Limbaugh program, and welcome, Mr. Mamone. Well, thank you for having me. Yes. Now, you have the distinction, Mike Mamone, of being the only engineer in America that is responsible for a billion-dollar business that you have no part of. I want to kind of go through that story for a minute, and that would be the story of Snapple. (laughs)
6: <laughs> Tell us about Mike Mamone, Snapple, and the Rush Limbaugh program. Well, all right, down. I used to take the Long Island Railroad into uh, into the studio because at that time the network studio was at uh, Two Penn Plaza, and Penn Plaza is, you know, is always just it's a hole, it's a pit, it's a horrible, horrible place to be. But at that time, they sold. The most amazing, you know, the delis in there sold the most amazing assortment of beverages. So I found Snapple one day, and it's like, oh, raspberry iced tea. This looks good, and they sold cups of ice. So I started, you know, I I would buy one and you know bring it to work and drink it, and then you know after like a couple of weeks, Rush says he says, what is that? He says that looks that looks really good, and I said, I said it's Snapple. I said it's iced tea. I'll bring you one tomorrow. So. I brought him, you know, so the next day I brought him one and it's like, and he's like, wow, this is fantastic. So he goes on the air and he starts, you know, expounding on how wonderful it is. And then, so every day then I would bring him, you know, I would get one and bring one for him. So after, you know, after a while, after one of these long spiels about how wonderful it was, and he would always make the the big show of sipping it. And it's like, oh, mm, this is such wonderful stuff. So I made it, I taped it. One day and i gave it to one of the sales people i said why don't you go do something with this <laughs> and he did so and that's what happened <laughs> and then it like went through the roof
2: it went through the roof exactly right now at the time snapple was a local beverage this was a company that was a quote a local company i don't know whether they were new york new jersey or connecticut but it was they were making snapple It did not have a national presence at all. And so Rush was talking about this amazing iced tea on a national show, even
6: though it was local. Their phones started ringing and it's like, where can we get this? Where can we get this? (laughs) So then it suddenly it was everywhere. And then, you know, they got, they took Wendy, the Snapple lady. I mean, but the thing that made Snapple different was, is that it also had, they had a different method of distributing the product. Um, so it's like, everything seemed to be very local. And then, uh, they took the company public and I know that rush, I know that rush got stuck in and I was thinking, it's like, damn. (laughs) And Snapple rode, rode the wave for, you know, for a good long time until they sold out to Quaker Oats. So Mike
2: Mamone, you are in a way responsible for the iced tea craze that has taken America by storm. Okay, so you're the broadcast engineer for Rush Limbaugh's program. You are the broadcast engineer, the longest-serving engineer on the most listened-to radio program in American history. Tell us what your day is like. What do you do?
6: Okay, um, basically, I every element that you hear that is not Rush's voice gets mixed in by me.
2: So everything everything that was as you said that was not Rush's voice in some way or another right you touched right on that show you as i said you you are the longest serving broadcast engineer that we have had on the staff what do you think Rush's legacy is going to be
6: well the legacy of you know of the man who basically saved saved AM radio and recreated talk radio into a you know, into a major political force. I mean, that's that's a pretty big one. You know, he will all well, I mean, we will remember him as being the kind and giving things which, you know, not enough people will ever know about, you know, his charitable gift giving and the organizations that that he is that he has supported throughout the years, like you know, like the Le- Leukemian Lymphoma Society, the MCLEF. And you know all the other things it's like nobody would ever you know it's like I know and you've you've told us stories about the you know the the things that he has done for people on the condition you know of total anonymity, so you know I would like to see you know more of that on side, but you know the legacy of having you know saved the business, recreated the business, and been responsible for um well you know and answer answering the mainstream media i mean it's like that you know that's enough for anybody <laughs> well mike what, what what do you think you look back over it all
2: and and you've had an amazing career
6: well don't 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 downplay the thing because people have alluded to this before but let's face it if we had a buck for every time someone said there's a real good show going on in here uh we'd both have a lot of money. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I mean that was, you know, another thing that made it, you know, that made it fun because there was a whole nother show going on inside. And, you know, mostly you know being with being with you, Kit, Brett. I've kind of felt like all right, when when he moved to Florida, it was like there was still, you know, there was still a show still going on you know, at my end because there were still, you know, there were still people here. But then it's like as things went on, it's like you are – the screening moved to Florida, so you were screening there. So then it was just me and Kit. Then Kit died, uh, which still, you know, still just – I still tear up thinking about. It. But then – so now I'm in the room all by myself. <laughs> so, you know, and – I've made the illusion before. It's like um, I feel like Michael Collins, you know, from Apollo (laughs) Eleven. It's like all you guys are down there having fun on the moon, and I'm, you know, it's like, all right, I'm Major Tom here, you know, (laughs) circling around. (laughs) So now I have I have an entire studio full of people again, and I'm actually having to tell people, it's like, you know, stop screaming in the phone because it's like you don't you don't have to scream at the callers. You know, so I mean, who would do such a thing? I don't know. It's like you set a very bad example for those people. I did not, because they they looked at you, and it's like
3: James, stop! Scr- what is he
6: screaming at those people for? <laughs> <sighs> and the you, and the time you got suspended for doing that.
2: Yes, I did. I got. You were not the only one suspended. I got suspended too.
6: Yes, but yeah, but they taped your phone calls.
2: Yeah, they did
6: that. <laughs> We want to find out what's really going on back there.
2: <laughs> oh, you're just letting out all the secrets. No. Yes, no. they did. They wanted to find out exactly what was happening on the other end of those phone calls. And you know what? Yes, they taped them. When they came back and listened to them, I said, my God, I'd scream
6: at them too. <laughs> exactly.
2: And after they heard what I had to deal with every day, it was kind of like, that went away.
6: The the one regret that I have is that, you know, there was never really anything of us doing anything in there. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's probably just as well because there was a lot of cursing. Yeah, well,
2: there was. Yes. Yeah. We were a little naughty with the language. Well, Mike, this has just been a real pleasure, real treat to have you here. Um, I'm glad you did this interview, Michael.
6: Yeah, I was, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't going to, but after listening to the listening to the Lunar Crew do their show, it's like, all right, that changed my mind. What about that changed your mind? I really can't can't put my finger on it, you know, because well, first of all, it's like having been around all this time, I thought I knew all the stories, but some of the things that you know, that Brian and Dawn were telling, it's like I really didn't know that. I remember that when he moved down to. That when he moved down and he was in a room all by himself with the, you know, with the box, <laughs> that was the thing is like, I want to do this from Florida, how do we do this? I said, Well, all right, we'll build you a box. So, you know, I came up with the, you know, with the, you know, basically with the box and there was a a signaling device that we used, which nobody else used. And I was telling somebody about it so I was like, my God, that's brilliant. It's like, but nobody, as far as I know, did stuff like that. So, I didn't know that Brian was sitting out in the parking lot for half of that. <laughs> <You> know, <so laughs> and, it's like, and I thought, OK, you know, so it's like, all right, well, let's give this a go. D- did, it seem, did it seem that it all went by in a flash? Yes, it w- went by incredibly fast. And it was like the I mean, even, you know, judging by all right, like doing the Christmas shows where I said, it's like, you know what? Nobody's going to listen to our show on Christmas. Why don't we just play Christmas music? So, and then it's like, I'm listening back to him, and I said, my God, I've done like 25 of these. <laughs> and it was like, wow. Eesh.
2: Mike, what a treat. I'm glad you decided to do the interview with us. Me too. I guess the, the, the best illustration that I can give of this is
3: Snapple. I'd never heard of Snapple until I got to New York. And I last thing I thought it was, was an iced tea when I heard the brand name. The broadcast engineer one day, who was the same broadcast engineer then as today, was in his studio, in his broadcast engineer studio complex, and he was pouring a bottle of this stuff over a cup with cracked ice in it. It was a hot as heck day in New York. And I said, what is that? He said, Snapple. It was like raspberry flavored. I tasted it. And I said, whoa, that was, it was delicious. Mine now is better, by the way. But it was the time it was the best I'd ever tasted.
2: Over the course of this series, we've taken you on the biographical journey of Rush's life narrated by his friends and colleagues. As this is our final episode, we could think of none better to narrate this final piece than the two men who now occupy the sacred noon to 3 p.m. Eastern time slot across America for Premier Networks, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton.
4: The Life of Rush Limbaugh, Chapter 12, narrated by Clay Travis and Buck Sexton.
7: I have to tell you something today that I wish I didn't have to tell you. That's how Rush began to break the news to you, to us, on February 3rd, 2020, that he had been diagnosed with advanced lung cancer.
8: And for the first time in more than 30 years, we had to confront the reality that he wouldn't be there in the middle of our day forever.
7: Most people might have walked away from their professional life for good at that point, especially someone of his means, but not Rush Limbaugh. Determined as ever, he dug in for the long haul, no matter how painful or difficult it would get.
3: I thought about trying to do this without anybody knowing, because I don't like making things about me. But there are going to be days that I'm not going to be able to be here. And you know me, I'm the mayor of Realville. This has happened, and my intention is to come here every day I can. But what else would you expect?
8: This is a man whose passion for his craft was unparalleled. A man who taught us that no matter how many times you get knocked down, or in his case, even fired seven
7: times, you keep getting up and pushing forward until you reach greatness. Be humble, grateful, and share your success with others, helping others, even if you don't expect or want credit publicly for it.
8: The legacy of Rush Limbaugh on its surface might be that he was a groundbreaking broadcaster who saved AM radio, or a savvy intellectual who knew politics inside and out.
7: Both things true, he surely was. But his bigger legacy will live on even brighter behind the scenes with the people who knew him best and loved him most checking with a mother on his staff before asking her to travel to make sure her daughter didn't have any events at school she wouldn't want to miss quietly helping an employee
8: pay off some debt or replace a broken down vehicle sending 10 20 or fifty thousand dollars to someone he'd never met whose story he found and touched his heart
3: you know i have a philosophy there's good that happens in everything, it may not reveal itself immediately, and even in the most dire circumstances, if you just wait, if you just remain open to things, the good in it will reveal itself. And that has happened to me as well.
7: These are the lesser known measures of the man behind the golden EIB microphone. On the air, it was talent on loan from God. But off the air, his character, resolve, and warm, loving heart. That was all Rush Hudson Limbaugh III, with integrity on
8: loan from nobody.
2: Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation supports our nation's fallen and catastrophically injured service members, first responders, and their families. Thanks to your generosity, the Stand Up for Betsy Ross campaign, a $5 million donation was made to the foundation to honor dozens of heroes killed or injured in the line of duty, protecting our communities and our freedom.
3: That's shocking, that's disorienting, that's life-changing enough, but then the prospect of losing a home and losing everything else and not knowing where to go next, helping to maintain the nest. To maintain the home is one of the great offers of security that people in these circumstances need, and you've made it all possible.
2: Your help changed lives forever for the better. Now, I'm asking you to join Tunnel to Towers on their mission to do good for America's heroes and their families. Donate $11 a month at t2t.org. That's T, the number two, T Throughout this episode, you're going to hear from a lot of different people. Some of them you probably know, some of them you may not. All of these people have some kind of connection to Russ, with personal stories of times they spent with him, or even better, some of the things they've learned from him. Among those you'll hear from of some of Rush's former coworkers and friends, plus the many guest hosts of the Rush Limbaugh show over the years, like this guy, one of our favorite guest hosts of all time from KTTH in Seattle, Todd Herman. You know, I've often struggled with
4: how to explain to people sufficiently the honor it was to fill in for Rush for all those years and to be a guide host. Um, After Rush died and the best I can come up with this is is this if if you were a uh, if you're an animator and you got to fill in for Walt Disney or your favorite animator what what would that be like Or the people who invented your medium not even your favorite but who invented your medium that's that's what this is like Uh, if you are a software designer and you got called in to fill in on a day at work for Steve Jobs what's that like? I mean, that's the level we're talking about here. And in terms of Russia's legacy, anytime you turn on a radio station and you hear an opinion-based show, you will be hearing the legacy of Rush Limbaugh. Opinion Radio wouldn't have survived without Rush. It simply wouldn't have. So anytime you hear opinion on radio, you're listening to the legacy. America had an extra 30 years to try to save itself that's Russia's legacy, and that continues. Uh, there are people who understand their country. Now, children who will read Russia's books, that's his legacy. And in the last few months of his life, he shared with us his faith, his status as a Christ follower. And of course, that's
9: his enduring legacy. everybody. This is Mark Davis, currently the morning host at 660 a.m., The Answer in Dallas, Fort Worth. But for almost 20 years, from the mid-90s until 2012, I hosted a morning show on WBAP, the proud Rush Limbaugh affiliate for North Texas. Now, that alone was an honor. But when the opportunity arose in 2008 to begin to fill in for Rush, well, that's an easy yes. So I slid into... My version of the substitute host chair, which in my case was right in my own studio in Texas, except for the times when I flew up to New York to see the first EIB microphone to sit in the actual genuine chair. It was like visiting the radio Smithsonian wherever I did it. The joy of filling in for us was amplified by the pure pleasure of spending time in person with James Golden, AKA Bo Snardley, Mike Mamone, the late Kit Carson. He was the guy who would always call and, and then make the ask whenever there was a rush absence that needed filling. And I filled that role so gladly. And so gratefully from 2008 to 2012, when I changed radio stations here in Texas, but the memories and the friendships live on his absence is a void in my life and an empty space in American radio that cannot be filled. But those of us who listened, those of us who love him, can continue to be inspired by him. I know I will. So as a page turns in radio history, I want all of you to know that Rush was the kind of man you would want him to be. Kind devoted to his family, devoted to the radio family of people around him, and devoted to this great nation which he served so well in this chosen calling of talk radio. God bless you, Rush, and blessings to all of you who listened to him. His love for you was obvious every day, and our love for him will last forever.
0: It's Kitty O'Neill here, and back in the 80s at KFBK, my job was to screen calls for one of the talk shows and Rush Limbaugh moved into that slot. So I screened calls for him. He did a show that was comedic in nature, although he expressed a lot of political views and different views on society and things that were happening. But he did it in a way that was more like a, an FM radio jock. I think that's what set him apart is that he was Uh, conservative in view, but very, shall we say, irreverent in the way that he executed his show. It was full of uh, humorous bits and jokes and certainly had uh, a conservative bent, but was highly entertaining. So uh, people from both sides of the aisle would listen. I remember him as being extremely confident, but also very insecure at the same time. Rush was very complex and often an enigma to me. He was extremely generous, though, and as he became more wealthy and famous, his generosity only increased. People often ask me what he was like off the air, and he was not one to monopolize a conversation or be overbearing with his views. He was a very balanced conversationalist and would would listen to all sides of an argument. I don't think he ever set out to be the voice of the Republican Party, but he really became elevated to that position and I suppose felt an obligation to fulfill that. But as famous as he became, he never did forget his friends or where he started.
2: As we've been recording this series and we've talked to so many people in Russia's life professionally and personally, we've had a chance to hear stories that even I hadn't heard before. I had the chance to sit down and talk with some of Russia's closest personal friends, people he spent a lot of time with on the golf course and out and about in normal everyday life and they couldn't have been nicer, more generous with their time, David and Jeannie Rassau. Now, Rush came from a middle-class family in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. You guys came from a middle-class background as well. But here you are, friends with Rush Limbaugh, living in one of the most exclusive communities in the United States. You play golf together, you dine together. How did you become friends with Rush?
10: Rush had a great curiosity about everybody he met. He, he would give dinner parties, and we were fortunate enough to be invited and he would go around the table. There might be 15, 16 people around the table. He'd go around and have everybody tell their story, how they got to Palm Beach. And if he knew their story, he would then tell the story of the people. So he was curious about everyone and how they, how they got to Palm Beach, how they made their money, what they did that was successful, what they did that they were most proud of. He loved those stories. He really loved American stories.
2: American success stories. What do you think the biggest misunderstanding is about Rush, particularly among people on the left? What do people not understand about Rush Limbaugh?
10: They think he's an evil person. They think he is so right-wing and so uh, unwilling to bend his train of thought that he's the enemy. And... We saw that firsthand, especially in Connecticut, which is not necessarily a bastion of, of right-wing Republican views. And he would come up to this golf tournament with me. He did it for like 12 years. It was a three-day tournament. And he would meet a lot of people who were Democrats. And they all approached him with a little wariness. But once the ice was broken, whether it was the first tee shot or the first joke, or he'd hand them a cigar, or anything like that, all of a sudden they opened up and they found out he was genuinely a nice man. He was a teddy bear. He loved everyone. He didn't have a hurtful thing to say about anyone. And I think that's the most misunderstood thing about him. We were proud to introduce him to my brother, for example, who is very left-wing, and his wife. We had a dinner party, and they were both very, very nervous about Having dinner with Rush Limbaugh because they'd heard all these stories, and he just wowed them over. They ended up exchanging gifts. He, 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 he they just could not believe how nice a man he was. So that that was the mystery, the man and the myth.
11: Rush could walk into a room and people would, that's Rush Limbaugh, and they were they gravitated to him. It was just. It's bigger than life.
2: Now, you also got, both of you, of course, spending a lot of time with him, as you said today. What do you think is the thing that you most want people to know about him that maybe they don't know, including those of us who love him?
11: His heart said it all. He looked at you with, with sincerity, with understanding. He wanted to talk to you. He wanted to find out all about you, and it wasn't just at a at a dinner party. He didn't talk much; he asked the questions, and wanted to hear other people talk about themselves. Rush didn't speak about himself. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think uh, you know, there we have a lot of Democrat
10: friends. We're not solely Republican, and. We have Democrat friends here in Palm Beach. A couple of them come to mind who we played golf with, and he knew that they were Democrats. And they knew he was Rush Limbaugh, the the lead Republican, the leader of the Republican Party, and all that sort of stuff. But they loved playing golf with him. They loved having lunch with him. We'd have breakfast together on Saturday mornings. They loved having breakfast with him because he wouldn't talk politics all the time. He'd talk about life. He'd talk about football games. He'd talk about golf. He'd talk about golfers. He'd talk about all sorts of things other than politics. If somebody brought up politics, he would begrudgingly answer the question, but you knew he didn't want to be involved in politics in some of his free time. He did that 15 hours a week on the air and another 50 hours a week in preparation. So this was downtime for him. He appreciated it, and everyone who met him really loved and respected him. Another great story of Rush. He gave the best Super Bowl parties and Masters parties you could ever imagine. Uh-huh. Everybody wanted an invitation because he served great wine, and he served it. You didn't go and, he went around, poured the wine, he went around and gave everybody the, something to eat. He went on, this one woman who was 90 years old, the mother of somebody was there, he doted on her to make certain she was comfortable, she had a good seat, she could see the tournament. Whatever, and, and he was just doted so this one Super Bowl weekend it's a Saturday morning and I was arranging some of the golf games and he gets to the club and he sees that I don't have my golf shoes on, he said when are you going to put on your shoes? I said I'm not playing he said what do you mean you're not playing? Got this, I said I'm going back to Connecticut today, I got a call at 2 o'clock this morning, Our grand, we had a granddaughter born this morning at 2 so we're flying up there And he said, you can't fly up there. I said, why? He said, because I've got the Super Bowl party. I said, I'm sorry, I'm going up to see my new granddaughter. And he said, oh. So he walks out of the locker room. He comes back about two minutes later. He said, at the time we had our own plane. He said, wait a minute, your plane is in for maintenance. How are you going? I said, commercial. No, you're not. He went to the phone booth, called up Mike, and he said can you be at the airport at 10 o'clock? He's gonna take you up. So Rush flew Jeannie and I up to Bridgeport, Connecticut. We rented a car, we went from there to the hospital. We saw our granddaughter before she was 24 hours old. And that's the way he was. He just, his generosity knew no bounds.
2: Well, let me close by saying this, and thank you for spending so much time with me and with us. We're glad, I'm glad, that Rush had friends like you, David and Eugenie in his life and his other close friends because he had to endorse so much bullshit from people that didn't know him, from people that lied about him, from a media that was filled with people that were jealous of his success and knew that some of the things they were reporting about him were not true. And so I am glad that he, you guys were able to help Rush have a normal life as he could, especially on the weekends and with family and with friends, and to take away from some of that madness that he had to put up with.
10: Well, thank you. It was our, you know, I feel more rewarded than anyone. Jeannie and I do. We just. Getting to know him and be with him and enjoy his company was a blessing. He was. And it, go ahead, Jeannie.
11: It was nice to be able to say to our friends, he's just as normal as you, as you, as you. You know, he gets up in the morning, he does what he does, does what you do, you know. He's a human being. Yep. But he's a human being with a huge heart.
2: Yeah. I know you miss him.
11: Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll say this. The last year and a half,
10: Rush was playing the best golf I've ever seen him play. He was amazing. Uh, I used to outdrive him. All of a sudden, he's 20 to 50 yards ahead of me. Um, He had an albatross on a par five, which means he sank his second shot on a par five. He
11: went
10: ballistic. He was just beside himself. He was so excited. He just loved the competition. He was, he, if he hit a bad shot, he didn't care about the score. He'd drop another ball <laughs> and hit it again.
6: <laughs>
10: he just, he was fun to be with. We just had, a we had so much fun together. And um, all now, we have a lot of great memories
11: now. Yeah. I Thanks. will say he never made his bed though, when, he were, when he came to visit. <laughs> <laughs> But a
3: friend of mine, Lord Rosso of Cross Harbor, has got this friend as it's a shaft manufacturer. Now, I don't know if you people don't play golf, the shaft is is particularly in uh, long shafted clubs, like the driver, fairway medals and so forth along. Well, in every club, the shaft is the engine. Anyway, Lord Rosso had this new shaft in his driver on Sunday. And I'm not kidding. He was hitting the ball 10, 12 yards farther than he normally does. And I was kind of in disbelief because to get that kind of a differentiation you need more swing speed, but a shaft can compensate for a slower swing speed if it's good. So I got this new shaft, and I was going to go try it yesterday to see if I could get an additional 10-12 yards like Lord Rosso of Cross Harbor was, and I I got rained out.
2: To say that if you knew Rush Limbaugh, you were left with an unforgettable impression of the man, (laughs) that's an understatement. Everybody who knew him remembers how, when, where they met Rush, and also what they've learned from Rush, how he impacted them, just like he impacted all the rest of us who worked at the EIB Network. There's so many stories, and here's more of them from a couple of the guest hosts that sat in, and a good friend of mine, and Rush's Congressman Louis Gomer. But first, from WHP in Harrisburg and WPHT in Philadelphia, Ken Matthews.
12: So I started guest hosting for Rush in the summer of 2017. And then I did my final show as a guide host. It was also the final Rush show. And the thing that sticks out to me, there's so many things. And we we don't have... 26 hours for me to explain it but uh, I started out as a listener like millions of other people then I ended up as a guest host and Rush made me a better guest host but he also made me a smarter person and a better thinker and a lot of that came from being a Rush listener because Rush was an intellectual giant but he wasn't a snob about it, and he had fun, and he liked to laugh, and he was a smart aleck. And I think a lot of those characteristics appeal to the American people. So we always have to bring our A-game when we're guest hosting for him, but the nice thing about it is the entire team is at that level. Everybody brings their A-game because they're patriots, they love America, and they love Rush. Rush. So it was a wonderful environment to work in, and uh, the listeners are outstanding. And why wouldn't they be? Rush loved the listeners. So it was was a blessing and a wonderful opportunity.
13: My name's Brett Witterbull. I was a member of the EIB family. From 1995 until 2006, and then brought back again in the year 2020, that fateful year, uh, I had such great, amazing memories of my time with the folks here at the EIB Network, but most importantly of Rush Limbaugh. I came into the EIB Network as a, as a kid, really, 25 years old, kind of a wise guy. Thought I knew it all till I ran into Kit Carson and James Golden, Mike Mamone, and of course the boss, Rush Limbaugh. Then I realized I didn't know anything. But over the course of my years on the program, I learned so much I learned about generosity. I learned about humor. I learned about the brilliance of a broadcaster performing day after day against all sorts of adversaries, both professional and sometimes even on a personal level. Uh, You know, Rush Limbaugh is a once in a millennium talent. He really is. When you consider the amazing work he did in the different parts of his life and over the course of 33 years, you have to be struck by the genius, but it was also due in large part to the amazing team behind the scenes. My friend James, Kit Carson, Cookie, Coco, Joe, Ali, Maimon, you go down the list, it goes on and on, including the people who helped to run the Limbaugh letter as well. This was truly a family and a family it remains to this day. I'm still in touch with everybody on the program and everybody's still in touch with me. It's a profound mark that was left in my life. You can't ever forget where you were when you heard your wedding, your birth of your first or second child announced on a radio program by a guy who genuinely cared about you as a person. And to this day I remain indebted to the experiences I had for the better part of a decade. Those memories will live on forever in my heart and I look forward to sitting with Rush one day show prepping together up there in the big beautiful broadcast studio in the sky thank you rush limbaugh for all you did and thank you to the listeners who made this all possible may god bless and keep all of us that will one day be reunited
14: this is louis Gomert. In 1991, a dear friend in East Texas asked, "'Have you heard Rush Limbaugh?' And I said, "'I've heard of him, but I had not heard him.'" He said, "'His sense of humor is a bit like yours, "'and I think you'd really like him.'" Well, I didn't just like him, I loved him. During the rest of 1991 and from then on, I was listening to Rush all I could. After being elected to be a judge in one of our highest trial courts in Texas, I had to allow the jury to take a lunch break so I would go to my office and work while I was listening to Rush. By 1994, he had so many Americans listening to him, it was no wonder that the 1994 freshman Republicans in Congress named Rush as an honorary member of their class. He really did make that much difference. Then over the years, his amazing dissection and explanation of our country's problems had many of us saying, yeah, he's right. But as Rush said, it wasn't that he was brainwashing anyone. He was just expressing so well what we all were feeling. So after I got elected to Congress, I met and became dear friends with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, who became a virtual brother from another mother. Also getting to know David Limbaugh because of Rush was another huge benefit. Yet getting to watch Rush and James and their other two staff in the studio Palm Beach was like seeing a finely honed machine that was poetry in motion. Looking back, just being able to email and hear back from Rush, usually during the show while he was talking, was such an honor. He was an anomaly among men who took what God loaned him and made the most of it for the benefit of all the people of this country. That's why my last time to see him was an emotional moment, the night he had President Trump announce the Presidential Medal of Freedom in the House chamber. We knew Rush was dying of cancer, might not have too much longer to live. Outside the gallery of the House chamber upstairs, I rushed up there to see him and I saw others come by and shake his hand while I was walking toward him. But it was too emotional a moment. A handshake would not do for the person who had been in my car, been in my home, been in my heart. I opened my arms and said, Rush. And he smiled and he opened his arms and said, Louie. Then we hugged. As I said in the last email, a sinning before he left the air for the last time. Rush, the Beatles were wrong. You've multiplied exponentially, the love
2: you make. Rush, my friend, you're missed. A few episodes ago, we played a vignette that was voiced by Scott Baio. You might have thought when you heard it, "Wait a minute, Scott Baio." Well, after the episode was released, we got a note from one of our executive producers, Craig Kitchen, he reminded us of how Scott Baio actually came to know Rush, and we thought it might be nice to put it in context for you. Back in 2017, I got a call. It was Scott, he was calling in from California, put up the call, and Scott, just like everybody else, called into our number, 1-800-282-2882, I screened him the way I would screen any other caller what he was saying made sense well he got on the air with rush and lo and behold it was revealed it wasn't just Scott from California he was a Scott that most Americans knew here's a portion of that telephone call
3: okay here we go to the phones we're starting in Los Angeles hi Scott great to have you with us in the EIB Network hello
15: Thanks, Rush. You know, I'm a hardcore conservative. Trump gave them power by winning and by and by implementing his
3: agenda. Oh, you think more. they should be grateful? Absolutely.
11: Yeah, they, they'll,
15: they'll win more.
3: This is Washington D.C. I know. They're th- is- <laughs> grateful. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm
15: in Hollywood, so it's the same thing. Sorry about that.
3: Uh, you're in Hollywood. Yeah. Okay, let me see the Scots that I know in Hollywood. Just on top of my head, Scots, Scots, Scots.
15: No, I don't. I don't know you. I know people you know.
3: I know, but I'm trying to use names.
15: I mean, Bayo.
3: You are Scott Bayo. I am. Well, it's an honor to meet you. I'm happy the, that you're in the audience. It's great that you can. I'm call. in
15: the audience every day. I'm a huge fan and I'm dying to play golf with you, Rush.
3: Well, look, when we finish here, if you'll stay online, if you can give an email address to Mr. Snurdly, yep. The next time I'm out there we'll play. I, I would love
2: absolutely, it. I'd absolutely love that. So there you go. That's how Scott Bayo and Rush Limbaugh are connected and we thank scott and the many others we've had over the course of this series that narrated the life of rush limbaugh vignettes that you've heard in each episode so in addition to scott our thanks also to rudy giuliani mark stein sean hannity mark levin megan kelly glenn beck neil bortz mary madeline george nori nick searcy who you'll hear from again in his own words in a few minutes and of course Clay Travis, and Buck Sexton. Now, the thoughts of a couple more guest hosts and longtime friends of Rush's. First, from WISN in Milwaukee,
16: guest host Mark Belling. Rush didn't invent talk radio. I mean, it was there, and a lot of people were doing doing it. What he did was he was the first to really tap its potential, and all of us who do talk radio, will be forever grateful for the fact that he was able to tap it to the extent that he did, because it put all of these stations all over America on the map. And here they had this show, the Rush show, that was getting great ratings, but it's on for three hours a day, and they had to program the rest of the day, and it gave opportunity for all sorts of other people to not only get jobs, but be on stations that had huge listenerships. So... We could all be exposed to the same audiences in our local communities that, you know, Rush was being exposed to. The greatest talk show host of all time, it's obviously Rush Limbaugh, but here's the thing. He will always be the greatest talk show host of all time. It's impossible for anybody to be greater than him because he invented the art form and he'll always be the standard by which everybody is measured. Kind of like Babe Ruth in baseball, he will always be the greatest baseball player who ever played the game, and Rush will always be the greatest talk show host ever. I guest-hosted the program for, I don't even know, I, it's over 20 years, a long time. I still remember the first time, it's the late 90s, I think, that I did the program, and the day before I was to go to New York in Milwaukee, I was unbelievably sick. I was deathly ill. In fact, I was so sick, I couldn't even drive myself to the airport. I had to have a friend drive me there, but I had to go. This was the first time I was going to do the program. And if you would, if I would have said, I'm sick, I can't do the show, everybody would have assumed that I chickened out. I would have been the biggest laughing stock in radio. So I dragged myself in to do the program, filled myself with as many ibuprofenes as I possibly could and survived the whole thing. People thought it was really good. In retrospect, it was terrible, probably the worst one that I did. But I survived it. I had to do it. The opportunity to do the Rush program, your first chance to do it, to turn it down, would have been suicidal. Such a platform. Over the years that I did the show, I'd hear from people that I hadn't heard from in decades, somebody living in New Mexico, somebody living in Nebraska, people even in my own state of Wisconsin who weren't familiar with me from Milwaukee. The reach of the show was incredible. One other thing I want to talk about is the staff. When I come in to do the program, of course, I wouldn't see Rush. I'm doing the program on days that he's off. I dealt with the staff. And the thing that I noticed over the years was the incredible loyalty that the staff had to Rush. I mean, many people were with him for decades. I think of people like James Golden, both Mike Mamone's his broadcast engineer, the late Kit Carson, who, like me, is from Milwaukee. These people were there forever. And They always had Rush's back. Now, part of it is, who wants to leave a winner? Nobody wants to leave a program that's as phenomenally successful as this. But it was beyond this. There was clearly a deep pride that the people who worked on the Rush program had in the show. They knew that what they were doing was changing communication forever. From WSB in
2: Atlanta, guest host Eric Erickson. The very first time I ever filled in for Rush Limbaugh,
17: they flew me up to New York City. I'm in there. And I mean, it is, it's Mamone. It is Kit Carson. It is Bo Snurdly himself. I'm looking at all that. The light goes on and I'm like, what on earth have I just done? And I freak out. Uh, and, and there's silence there for just a second. And then I start. And it gets a little natural until halfway through the show and I look and there's Snurdly flailing his arms, pointing towards me, pounding his fist on the desk. I'm like, I've just lost the opportunity to ever do this. I had no idea what I'd done. And I run in very apologetically during commercial break. I'm very sorry. What did I do? And Kit Carson looks at me and says, what do you mean? I said, well, I mean, he's, he's in there. This is before I even really connect Bo Sterling, James Golden, same person. And he's like, oh, that's just James talking to a caller. <laughs> I was fine. I learned more from Rush though, by not being able to fill in for him when I didn't support Trump in 2016, very deviated from where the audience was. And Rush reached out regularly to see how I was doing. He called me, he's like, look, you got to build a relationship with your audience. And I started very mindfully, deliberately, maybe oversharing my life with them, connecting to them on, on faith and culture and not just the raw politics of the day, finding areas of conversation we could agree on and talk about and laugh at. In particular, that was one thing Rush always told me is find stuff you can laugh at with your audience. And it worked. And uh, my audience is now bigger than it ever was, even before jumping into syndication. uh, It was one of the largest local talk shows in the country, in large part because Rush was a great mentor and gave great advice, and I listened. Around October of last year, before Rush passed away, he reached out to me, and usually it was me reaching out to him. And if it was him reaching out to me first, I always paid attention and just wanted to know how radio was going. I was doing two shows at the time. And he knows, he knew I was not good at with business and wanted to, to give me some advice on the radio business and how it works. And then he just told me, said, you need to get up every day and make sure that behind the microphone is where you want to be. And if it is, you need to keep doing it. Don't ever not do it. And I would never have gotten behind the microphone had he not told me that I needed to do it. I genuinely, truly, I mean, everybody in radio, talk radio, owes their career to Rush, but I really do owe my career to Rush. I would have said no to a job he told me I needed to say yes to. And a decade later, uh, now I'm suddenly finding myself in syndication and continuing to grow my show. Thanks, Rush.
18: My name is Larry Arn. I'm the president of Hillsdale College. I met Rush Limbaugh in 1987 or 88. 88, I think, was the year in which he became a sort of national figure and moved from Sacramento, California, to New York and launched this mighty radio show that then went on from 1988 until his death this year. He's a galvanizing man. He came to my notice because I'd be in taxi cabs in Sacramento, California, and if it was in the morning, Rush Limbaugh's show was always on, and every time there was a break, the cab driver would turn around and say to me, this guy's great. And I listened to him, and I thought, boy, this guy's something, you know, because that mixture of an analyst and an entertainer was deliberate in him, and he took it to the highest state. I met him in a hotel. Somebody pointed about to me, and I went over and I said, love your show, which, you know, everybody who ever met him probably said that to him. Then later, he became a big national figure, and I would have contact with him from time to time. He got the idea that we should advertise on his show, and he had a backlog of people wanting to advertise. So I thought, yeah, we'll give it a whirl. And then the point about a world is he was great. He uh, understood what our college was about. He wanted me to explain it to him, and I did many times. And uh, he just turned it into gold. So I admired him. I liked him a lot. You know, he was on the radio three hours a day, five days a week, for 30-some years. It was essential to the success of Rush Limbaugh that he was an entertainer. He was funny. He would just make you laugh. But more essential than that is that he represented some big things that are rooted deeply in America, and he defended those things consistently for his whole career. And of course, those things cannot die. They are eternal. And he has helped to sustain them so far, and we should carry on. Trump doesn't care. Uh, He's not politically correct, and he's fearless.
3: He's not afraid to tell people what he actually thinks about other people or things. And he's not worried about the reaction that people have to it. He's just going to go ahead and be who he is. He's one of these people that really he he embodies the idea that you attract the kind of people you are, and that you should not be a phony to try to attract certain people. Try to be like the people you want to attract. It never works. He just is who he is. And whoever doesn't like him, their problem. Whoever does, fine. They're in the inner circle.
2: We are so glad to have with us, if only for a few moments, one of the busiest men in America to share his thoughts about Rush Limbaugh, President Donald J. Trump. Mr. President, what do you think Rush Limbaugh's legacy will be across America and the world?
15: More than anything else, freedom and courage. You know, he had guts. Rush would talk about anything that was appropriate to talk about. These other people, even the good ones, they're good people, but they want to be politically correct. They don't want to say anything that's too controversial. And that's what made him successful, Bo. You know that. You know it yep. better than anybody. You, you may be one guy that knows it better than I do. <laughs> Rush Rush was a, he was a man who had tremendous courage, and he had tremendous principle. And if he believed in something, he'd talk about it. And who had an audience like him? You know, Sean Hannity is great, and he's a great guy and a great person in every way. And Sean said, it's a voice that can never, ever be replaced. And, and, you know, for Sean to say that, who's so big in his own right, and he has a massive audience. But, and Sean openly says, nope, Rush was the voice. It can never be replaced. You cannot. Because I used to say, well, who can replace Rush? And the fact is, nobody will ever replace him. He was a, a courageous person and he loved our country.
2: Well, Mr. President, on behalf of all of us who worked with Rush and his millions of fans, we want to thank you for bestowing the Medal of Freedom upon him at that time. Only you could do that and make all of the elected Democrats in Washington show up for the ceremony. Thank you for that. It was such a beautiful night, one will never forget. Thank you for doing that, Mr. President.
15: That was a great evening, and I've never seen anything like it. One side was going crazy in a positive way, and the other side was dead silent. But you know what? You looked at the eyes of the other side. They knew he deserved it. They knew it. They respected it. They respected him as much as they maybe disliked him and, I don't know, disagreed with him for whatever reason. I don't know why you would. He wants a strong military. He wants low taxes. You know, all of the the common sense things, but, but they got it. And giving it to him was his greatest honor, and giving it there. And it was just an idea that I had, and I said, let's go for it. And uh, that was quite a night. That was quite a night.
2: Thank you for your time, Mr. President. We so love you. Thank you for joining us.
15: Thanks, James. Keep up the great work. Thank you very much. He is the greatest fighter and winner that you will ever meet. Rush Limbaugh, thank you for your decades of tireless devotion to our country. In recognition of all that you have done for our nation, the millions of people a day that you speak to and that you inspire, and all of the incredible work that you have done for charity, I am proud to announce tonight that you will be receiving our country's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom.
2: So, this is our last episode of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the Golden EIB microphone. We've heard from a lot of people, but I wanted you, ladies and gentlemen, to hear from the two men that helped me produce this podcast series Phil Tower, Chris Kelly. Welcome to your podcast <laughs> along with me. <laughs> Hello, James. Well, Chris, let's start with you. What have you learned? You came into this, as I understand. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You came into this not so much a political guy. Tell me what you've learned from this series.
19: You, you know, listen, I'm I am a, I'm a radio guy. Right. So having been around radio for a long time and having worked for radio stations that were Rush Limbaugh affiliates for a long time, um, obviously, you know, you you revere somebody of his stature uh, and his success level. Politically speaking, no, I'm not overly interested in a lot of politics in general. Right. Uh, But I am interested in somebody that knows how to communicate and somebody who does it at the level that he did it for so long. And I got to tell you, honestly, the stories that I've been privy to behind the scenes as we've recorded this thing have kind of blown me away. He reminds me a lot of a guy that I used to work for for a long time uh, and hearing hearing people like Brian say he was like another father to me or hearing just your emotion in talking about him. and Getting the chance to know some of these other people that have interacted with and and been part of Russia's life for so long has been really, really special. And I'm really, really proud to have been part of this project. This podcast has been about, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what you watch on TV, no matter what you listen to on the radio, no matter what you read online, there's another human being on the other end of that content. And What I have been really interested in over the course of this series, and I hope others have paid attention to, is laying down all political ideology and laying down all what you read in the newspaper or online or whatever, is that there's this guy and there was so many more layers to him than you ever really got to hear on the radio or that anybody ever really knew. That to me is the whole purpose of why we've been doing this podcast. It's been a absolute pleasure to uh produce this and and especially i have to say james to get to know you and work with you uh you are a a pros pro and i know just in reading some of the comments from um people that have left reviews on the podcast and uh just getting feedback from people in in my own orbit the level at which people speak of you uh they couldn't be couldn't be more right you are uh Truly a, a gentleman and a professional, and it's been an absolute pleasure to work with you.
2: I'm blushing. And that's hard to see, by the way. <laughs> thank you. So, much. <laughs> like so, Thank you so much, Chris Kelly. Our other producer, Phil Tower. Phil, I'm going to ask you the same question, well, in a, in a different kind of way. What have you learned from 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 producing this podcast series about the life of Rush Limbaugh, the guy behind the Golden EIB microphone? Well, I'm going to
20: give you a quick, simple answer, and that is have a dream, never give up on it. Rush decided that radio was his calling. We knew that as a young kid. He hated going to school, and that was his vision. He was fired from his first seven jobs, and in the end, he was successful because he had a dream, he had a vision, and he kept to it. And along the way, he met some great people, and he stayed humble and grateful Until the end. And what a great American success story that is, James. And you were, you had an inside seat to the whole thing. So, I mean, what an incredible honor. Um, In the end, he was just a guy who loved what he did. And we've heard that from our parents and mentors along the way. You got to love what you do in life. And Rush loved radio and he loved his show. He loved being with his audience. He was there until the end. And I need to make chris and you blush because chris when i received a call from craig kitchen the godfather of this whole project if you will i told him i said we need a masterful audio guy and introduce chris kelly my co-producer who makes these podcasts sing james and you know that the way the music is mixed everything's together and you james a storyteller
2: who gave each of us chills as we heard some of these stories oh my god Gosh! Well, I'm going to say this. You know, I've been in radio all my life, almost as I look back on it now. Almost all of my life, I've been in this radio business, and of course, work working with Rush Limbaugh was an amazing blessing. It was uh, a, a chance of a lifetime that has made my life. And working with both you, Phil, and you, Chris, has been such a delight. You. Rush used to say, you know, the job of the callers was to make make the host look good, not to suck up or anything, but but to bring out the best. And working with two people who are the very best at what they do makes you up your game. And that's what both of you have done for me. You've made this a pleasure. You've made this a remarkable experience that I'll never forget. And I cannot thank you enough for the hard work and energy you put in. People that are not in this business don't understand the time that it takes just to produce one episode. And you guys have now, both of you, have spent so many hours going through this podcast with me and going through Rush Limbaugh's life with me. And the way that you produce this, we hope, brings all of us hope. Those that listen to Rush, those that knew Rush and those that didn't know Rush will find an appreciation for what an incredible man he was based on the production skills that you guys brought to the table. And I just can't thank you enough. So just this week, you know, in one of the previous episodes, I mentioned the dream that I had of Rush. I was trying to figure it out. So just this week, I had another dream um, as we sit here with the final episode of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone. And in this dream, Dawn, Brian, and I were sitting in the control room and Rush was doing the show. And let me tell you, this was so vivid. It was such a vivid dream that at some point, I looked at Dawn and said, how is this possible? How are we here listening to Rush in the studio with us? This has to be a dream. And then I woke up. Well, my life with Rush was kind of like a dream. It happened all so quickly now when I look back on it when you look back over three decades of your life and 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 you've spent three decades with someone who's had an amazing impact on your life what can you say it's hard to believe that we're at a stage now where where we're talking about it in the past tense but here's the thing rush will never be past tense for three decades he connected with millions of people he didn't just connect with their brains with ideas he connected with their hearts he connected with people in a way that no other media personality in our history has connected with people and that is evidenced by the stories that people tell among themselves some of the stories that you'll see in some of the reviews of this podcast and And if you're fortunate enough to read in some of the emails or other communications that people send with each other, Rush impacted people in a way that most broadcasters could only dream of. He loved what he did. He loved this country. He loved his family. He loved what he did. Rush Limbaugh said he was born to talk and we were born to listen. He was so right. He was born to do what he did and he did it well. That talent has been returned to God, but thank God we had that talent for 30 years, more than 30 years. Rush, we love you, we miss you, and we'll never ever forget you. One final guest host we haven't heard from yet, or at least not in his own words. He narrated a life of Rush Limbaugh vignette for us in our last episode, but also sent us a little bit more of his own story An insight on how Rush impacted him and inspired his life in liberal Hollywood of all places. Actor Nick Searcy was a fan of Rush Limbaugh, but what he didn't know was that Rush was also a fan of his work. Until one day, he mentioned him on the air, and the rest was history. So now, here's Nick Searcy, one-time guest host of the Rush Limbaugh program, but more importantly, a long-time listener just like you and me. And this... His Nick's story. In 1990,
5: I was living in North Carolina with my wife and newborn daughter and driving long distances for auditions, trying to get my acting career started. Many of my trips were from Western North Carolina to Wilmington, North Carolina, a 400 mile, six and a half hour drive one way. There was nothing but the radio to keep you awake and alive. And then one day flipping through I came upon this voice, this warm, jocular, joyful, sonorous, pleasant voice bragging about his talent on loan from God and tying half his brain behind his back to make it fair to the callers, talking about politics, the news of the day, playing funny song parodies, and he was making fun of Democrats. And at that time, this simply was not done. And I thought, Who the hell is this guy? For you young whippersnappers out there, it is hard to understand what life was like before Rush. There was no one, and I mean no one, like him. There was no Fox News, no Sean Hannity, not really even a talk radio format, not on a national level. Rush started it all. He showed us all that the left did not define him, and by extension, us. And he talked to us like every single one of us was a dear friend. And in our hearts, we made friends with Rush. It is nearly impossible for me to put into words how much Rush has meant to me over the years. Working in Hollywood amongst the leftists in power, Rush was the thing I organized my day around. I even bought a shortwave radio from Radio Shack. (laughs) Google that, kids so I could hear Rush from anywhere on earth, even if he was preempted by current events, because as a small town kid pursuing the seemingly impossible goal of making a living as an actor, I saw myself in Rush. When he talked about wanting to be on the radio from a very young age and knowing that radio was what he wanted to do with his life, when he talked about the jobs that he'd been fired from and all the setbacks he had encountered along the way, and how he had still persevered, he gave me hope. He made me believe, perhaps more than any other single person in my life besides my mom, that I could do it if I just kept going. He sustained me through all the disappointments and the triumphs, and most of all, he let me know that I was not alone in being a conservative, even while I was in the thick den of leftist thieves, bullies, and vipers that is Hollywood. In 2010, I was cast as Art Mullen in the TV show, Justified, a role that perhaps came the signature role of my career. And Rush said repeatedly on the air how much he liked the show, which thrilled me to no end. I was so proud that my friend Rush, who I'd never met at that time, liked some of my work. Nothing made me feel like I had made it more than that fact. And then one day, it happened. Rush mentioned me by name on the air. My phone blew up with my friends calling me to tell me. I couldn't believe it. And by then, Twitter had arrived on the scene and I was already friends with Rush's brother David and I tweeted him and one thing led to another. And then the next day, I got a call from Bo Snurdly himself asking me if I would like to come on the show and be interviewed by the Maha Rushi himself. And since then, I've had the privilege of meeting Rush in person, of introducing him at a speech he gave to that top secret Hollywood conservative group that had no name and in fact never existed. And toward the end of Rush's life, when he talked about how blessed he was to have lived the life he had, I saw myself in him again. There's no question that I've been a very fortunate fellow. I've been able to forge a living for myself and my beautiful family by acting which is a miracle in and of itself. But still, perhaps the most incredible, preposterous thing that has ever happened to me occurred on December 27th, 2017, when I had the honor of guest hosting the Rush Limbaugh program. It was a gift to me in so many ways. I'm not a radio guy. I was dragged across the finish line that day by the great Bo Snurdley and the amazing Mike Mamone. And it remains to me the single most surreal event in my life. It's an honor that I still can't believe I received. When Craig Kitchen passed along a message to me from Rush the day before I guest hosted, Rush had said to ask me why I wanted to get into radio. (laughs) And I told Craig to tell Rush that I wasn't really sure if I did, but I knew that I just wanted to know what it felt like to be Rush for one day. And it gave me even more of an appreciation of how great Rush was when I experienced exactly how hard it is to be on the radio for three hours, just once, let alone 15 hours a week, 50 weeks a year, for 30 years at the very top of the mountain with no one else ever even close. Over those years, I have so many memories laughing with him at his song parodies, crying with him when he had his painkiller issues, praying for him when his hearing went, and of course, sobbing when he announced that he had the cancer that would ultimately end his life. And when that sad day came, I was just like everybody else that was in Russia's 30 million plus audience. We grieved not just because we agreed with his politics, not for the validation and courage he modeled for us, not just because we would miss hearing his inimitable take on the day's events. We grieved like he was part of our family, and we were. We grieved because we loved him, and we knew he loved us. If it can ever be said about someone that he did not live in vain, that his life made a difference, that someone is Rush. He showed us the way. May we have the same courage that he had to laugh in the face of hatred, to defend this country and what it stands for, and to do so with intelligence and humor and love. God bless Rush Limbaugh, and God bless the United States of America.
3: I'm never going to be able to adequately thank the people who are responsible for one of the greatest lives anybody could have had.
11: Could have had. Mega dittos, mega prayers, mega love for Rush. That man is in
15: heaven, and he's being right there by the throne, And and I, and I thank God for that. He
4: will be remembered as a man who on-air changed the course of conversation in America. The more you can be your real, authentic self, the better you're gonna be, and that's Rush.
19: Rush encouraged so many of us to think for ourselves, to learn, and to lead. He often said it did not matter where you started or what you look like. As Americans, we all have endless opportunities like nowhere else in the world.
3: I have met the goals I set for myself and I have been able to do it all for the most part on my terms I just it cannot get any better and to be able to share all of this with you and tell you how grateful I am makes me happy
15: You didn't have to know rush to love him all you had to do was listen to him he was a historian
10: he was a comedian He was a brilliant, brilliant man, and he will be greatly missed, and there will not be another Rush Limbaugh in this world. People try to figure out why he was so successful. You you just can't put it in in an easy, definable box. His love of his audience, his love for what he did, His intelligence, his wit.
6: Rush was like a second father for me because I probably spent more time with him than anybody in the last 20 years. I
15: know now that God needs him for something up there now. He's got a new job and he did his part here. And now we all have to, you know, continue his legacy any way we can.
11: There's
0: nobody that ever was in the presence of the man, or liberals or conservatives or apolitical people who didn't think he was the most gentlemanly uh, humble person they would ever met. Here's the
4: all-knowing, all-seeing, all-caring Rushi, and he was America's anchorman and truth detector, and he was also a brother and an uncle and a son and a grandson.
3: I'm just try to give thanks every day for all of the blessings I have had a blessed life I have I have had so many great friends I had and still do um, that it's it's uh, uh, there's nothing negative for me there's there's nothing nothing that I have deep regrets about because I've been too blessed because I've been too blessed
11: He would give so generously to so many organizations and so many people and would do so many things anonymously, so much that people will never know the amount of stuff that he's done.
3: Rush's voice isn't going anywhere, so you need not have any fear of that.
19: On behalf of the Limbaugh family, I would personally like to thank each and every one of you who prayed for Rush and inspired him to keep going. He loved you, and he loved this radio program with every part of his being.
3: You have to give every day. You know, i have loved to point out we all only get one life. We don't get a do-over in this. Well, we do. Actually, we get a do-over every day. If we choose to look at it that way, once we're old enough and mature enough to understand what life is and that there is only one, then you do get do-overs. Far more optimistic than pessimistic, focusing on the goodness that exists each day, and there is goodness in everything that happens. It may not be immediately apparent, but it's there, and it'll eventually reveal itself. It always does.
2: Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone, has been produced by Chris Kelly and Phil Tower, two of the most brilliant producers in America, folks. Production assistants, Mike Mamone, the executive producers, Craig Kitchen and Julie Talbert. I'd also like to thank everybody from the EIB staff who participated in this program. It could have just as easily been you as me hosting this. We all had the same love for Rush Limbaugh. Our program is distributed worldwide by Premier Networks, found on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is James Golden. This is Bo Snurley. This is James Golden, and I'm honored to be your host for this and every single episode of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the Golden EIB microphone. Thank you for being with us.
1: Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway.